Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. John Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden, was published in September 1952, and the movie made soon thereafter is the subject of this edition of Radio Curious in a visit with Bruce Levine, who is the author of James Dean in Mendocino, the filming of East of Eden. The Mendocino Film Festival will present several screenings of East of Eden on Friday, November 21st and Sunday, November 23rd. For further information, contact mendocinofilmfestival.org or 707-937-0171 or 937-5818. Soon after East of Eden was published, plans began immediately for a motion picture. Warner Brothers bought the rights, and director Aliyah Kazan hired playwright screenwriter Paul Osborne to write the film script. After several attempts to encompass the sprawling 560-page novel, they decided to use only the last 90 pages, the story of Adam Trask, his son's Aaron and Cal, their mother Kate, and the girl Abra. It's a story of a search for love, the desperate search for his father's love by the son Cal, the fanciful search for his mother's love by Aaron, and the futile quest by Adam for the love of all humanity. John Steinbeck wrote of his book, The subject is the only one man has ever used as his theme. The existence, the balance, the battle, and the victory in the permanent war between wisdom and ignorance, light and darkness, good and evil. By 1954, when Kazan began searching for a locale to use for the filming of East of Eden, neither Monterey nor Salinas, where the stories take place, looked much like California in 1917. Warner Brothers had made Johnny Belinda in Mendocino in 1947, which might have influenced the director. Or, perhaps, as one wire service reported, like many other voyagers, he just wandered up the Mendocino coast and found what he was looking for. In late April, preparations for filming began and the first day of shooting took place on May 27th. In an amazingly brief time, the Mendocino scenes were completed, and by June 3rd, the Warner Brothers production team was gone, leaving local residents with fond remembrances. Bruce Levine writes, I first saw East of Eden on the fantail of a U.S. Navy destroyer in the Caribbean in 1956. I'd read the book, but never traveled west of Des Moines. California was unseen. Mendocino was unheard of. I thought East of Eden had been filmed in Monterey and Salinas, wherever they were. East of Eden became Levine's favorite motion picture, not particularly because of James Dean, although he was certainly unforgettable. Whatever the man was in real life, saint or sinner, Bruce Levine writes, we will never really know. It's undeniable however, that in front of an audience or camera, he was remarkable. And that, for an actor, is the best thing that can be said. Dean was just something else. 
For Bruce Levine, it was how he felt about the whole movie, the shoreline, the town, its people, the actors, Julie Harris, Joe Van Fleet, Raymond Massey, and Burl Ives, those two men didn't come to Mendocino, and Leonard Rosenman's wonderful music. A totality of feeling, rare in motion pictures, that was only enhanced to Bruce Levine when he moved to Mendocino, California in 1969. When Bruce Levine and I visited by phone from his home in Mendocino on November 11, 2014, I asked him what prompted him to write his book, James Dean in Mendocino. I first saw East of Eden on the fantail of a naval destroyer in the Caribbean in 1956. Now, I'd read the book, which came out in 52, and Steinbeck's 560-page novel. But at, in 56, when I saw the movie, I had never traveled west of Des Moines, and I'd never been to California, and I'd never, never heard of Mendocino. And I, of course, like many other people, thought that East of Eden was, had been filmed in Monterey and Salinas, where, wherever they were, and I didn't know. And it became my favorite movie, not particularly because of James Dean, but just the actors, Julie Harris, uh, and the locale. The locale seemed amazing, and uh, you know, it, was, it was something to, be, to remember. But I, when I moved to the coast in 69, I mean, I still vaguely remember coming up from Little River and going over the hill there it is. That's where they made East of Eden. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't have made it in Monterey. Because the time, I mean, that's where I went when I first came to California. There was no way that I could have, they could have made the movie there. Well, let's stay with the movie that you first saw. Uh, you were in the Navy. Right. Tell us about the impression that East of Eden had on you. Well, it was, it was the whole movie that really did it to me. I mean, the, the headlands, the, the shoreline, the town with its people— and of course, the actors I particularly like. Well, everybody liked or loved Julie Harris, but I particularly like like Raymond Massey and Burl Ives, um, who didn't did not come to the coast when the film was made here. But I just overall the whole the, and of course Steinbeck's take on good and evil. I mean, Cal and Aaron. That's it. And I just I was overwhelmed with the movie itself, and I never forgot it. So. You came here to Mendocino County in 1969, right. set up home on the Mendocino Coast in Mendocino. Yeah. And you're still there. I'm still here, right. I've been here ever since, and I've happily mar- married, been happily married to someone for 40 years, so I must like it and her. <laughs> the whole, all right, okay, but as far as the movie goes, so I became very interested early on in local history, and I got to know the local historians like Nanny Escola in Mendocino, Julia Mungovin in Fort Bragg, and on and on around the county. Uh, but at that time, the two women, Stebbins and Bear, were starting what became Mendocino Historical Research. And so we start, We talked about a lot, and naturally the, the subject of movies came up, although nobody knew very much about them, or and the old-timers had pretty much forgotten them. But... Someone had given a couple of photographs to, to Kelly House uh, of the making of East of Eden, and I inquired further, and I discovered that uh, a, a retired school teacher had taken a lot of black and white photographs on, on the set, and I searched out the scrapbook which her brother or cousin, I don't remember which, in Mill Valley owned, got that to Kelly House, and then uh, Sylvia Kozak Budd, the Lance 
branch librarian in Fort Bragg, I uh, had been a, a lifelong, lifelong, a James Dean fan. And when she moved to the coast, she lived with a woman named Addie Reese, who it turned out had taken three home movies, eight millimeter movies, of, of, uh, of one of East of Eden, well, first of Johnny Belinda, then of East of Eden, and then of the Russians are coming. So I got, I got to know Addie Reese, and she gave me the nine minute making of, the, of East of Eden. Then I decided, uh, hey, hey, why not do a book about this? I mean, it's a pretty popular subject. Everybody knows who James Dean was. Uh, and so I produced the book. I just started collecting photo- I, any, a few more photographs that I could. Uh, I got lobby cards, which were uh, the cards that theaters used to show around the lobby in the entranceway, which uh, were still available very inexpensively. And now, they're, now the, I mean, I just checked last week the <clears throat> the lobby card for the cover of the book is, goes for $500 out there in, uh, on eBay. So anyway, I did the book and did three reprints, but like most books age, and finally it went out of print. And a year ago, the um, Kelly House Museum kind of got trapped in that the people who were supposed to do their annual review on Huckleberries, it fell through, and I decided, well, I'll just give them the book. So they, re- so Kelly House Museum reprinted the book last year, and they now own the book. And it's available for people who would like to purchase it Absolutely. through the Kelly House in Mendocino. Yes. So let's talk about uh, the book and the movie and the difference between the two. I understand that the movie really does not center on the first 470 pages of the book. That's true. For whatever reason, Kazan, the the uh, director, Eli Kazan, and the and the scriptwriter, Paul Osborne, decided only to use the last ninety pages of the book, which is an integral story in itself. Uh, the original novel goes all the way back to back east and, and the ancestry or antecedents of of uh, the people involved. And I think they made a very wise choice. There was a television movie made of East of Eden covering the entire story some years ago, and it was pretty bad. <laughs> so and so anyway, they just used the last 90 pages, and uh, it, it works. It works. So let's put the movie into a context, historical and cultural. Okay. All right. So it takes place during World War One. And when the, and in fact, this is one of the one of the great moral problems that comes about in the movie, because Cal decides to make Cal's father, Adam Trask has lost money uh, because he tried to ship uh, produce back east on the train and it got stuck in a snowstorm in the Sierras and everything rotted. So Adam Trask, the father, loses a lot of money. Cal in one, uh, tries to make this back by paying money on future on beans, beans futures, and. Uh, it causes one of the great conflicts in the in the in the, in the uh, book and the movie because Adam Trask will not ex- accept any funds that are made from such an what he considered an immoral way of making money. I I've never quite been satisfied that the portrayal or the or the time sequence for World War One works in the movie, but that's me. Most most people wouldn't know the difference. Describe that. What is the dissatisfaction that you have about that time portrayal? Well, the, look, look, this is what happens with movies. I mean, one, they try to be 
historically accurate, and they and perhaps they were, but you know we're still talking you know, with modern modern language and everything. And it, I say, this is a quibble that most people would not have. I mean, overall, everything works, and that's all that really matters. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Bruce Levine, who lives in Mendocino. He's the author of James Dean in Mendocino and tells the story of the movie East of Eden, which was filmed in 1954 in Mendocino. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Bruce Levine, going back to the cultural context of East of Eden, starring James Dean and filmed in the village of Mendocino, the role of Cal being an outsider to the mainstream and being attracted to the culture of disturbing people's certainties, a wildness about not really caring of what public opinion may be to his actions. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I'm not certain. In fact, I, well, I don't know if I totally disagree or not, but I mean, after all, he does represent, for the 1950s, disaffected youth. This, of course, would <laughs> would explode 10 years later, but uh, that's one of the one of the problems I have with the historical context, in that I really wonder if he would have been revolted that uh, that much against his upbringing. On the other hand, his upbringing was very strange, and his 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 mother, who was a madam, lived in the, in the story at least lived twenty miles away. But he is not supposed to know about that, nor is his bro- his brother supposed to know about that, because Adam has kept that secret from the two kids. Uh, all their lives. Uh, I, I think the reason Dean became such an uh, iconic figure, if you like, was it was because he represented what so many teenagers at the time, and later on dropouts at the time, felt was one of the problems in their society without really being able to name it, namely uh, authoritarianism. Uh, you know, on the other hand, this is this is a revolt against a father that goes back to uh, biblical terms, for that matter. Uh, I think he had some Dean himself, perhaps played him, perhaps he played himself. I mean, that's one way of looking at it because he had a very strange, unusual, and, and in part unpleasant background or, 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 or upbringing. So. Tell us about that in relationship to his comparison as he portrayed Cal in the movie. Well, okay. So he grows up in, in, in Indiana in the, middle, in, the, in, in the Midwest, but he's an, essentially an orphan. His mother dies when, if I remember, maybe eight or nine. His father is, isn't uh, on the scene at all. So he grows up with an aunt and uncle. But he, he, since he's he's a strange kid in the first place because he really doesn't, Although he he does play basketball, he takes part in all that, but he he's he's a loner. And at some point, I, when he's in high school, he actually tells some friends that he's going to be an actor. He's already acted in a few a few high school plays, but uh, and nobody believes him, of course. And then he disappears. He goes to New York and comes back. And then, then uh, all of a sudden, there he is on the screen. There's a wonderful folk song called Jim Dean of Indiana. Uh, written and sung by Phil Oaks, and you might want to you can you can listen to or watch it on or listen to it on YouTube, which pretty well um, condenses the whole thing. I mean, there he was. He did this. He grew up grew up among the cornfields. He goes to Hollywood. 
Uh, he makes three, only three films, uh, one of which is great. Uh, I never liked Rebel Without a Cause at all. Um, and Giant, I think, has some real thematic problems. But anyway, he makes three films. He, you know, he, became, he wants to be a race car driver, and, and, and that's what does him in. And uh, there's always a question. So, well, if he had lived, what kind of movies would he have made? He might have made some, some more good ones. He might have made a, a, a string of terrible ones because by the 1960s, uh, this sort of disaffected youth turns into something else. And today, of course, it's something else totally. In the 60s, it was uh, those of us who were involved in the uh, Civil Rights Movement and uh, the Peace Corps and um, stopping wars. Yeah, and I can't really picture Dean being involved in the center of that. I mean, sure, if he lived and made a lot of money, and undoubtedly would have contributed to all kinds of liberal causes, but I don't think he would have been a, a prime actor in all that. I can't see him, uh, you know, revolting against the Vietnam War. So focusing on the movie, East of Eden, I've been given to understand that Elia Kazan would attempt to get the actors off-screen into relations similar to those on-screen to tweak their behavior uh, manipulate them, if you will. Well, I think any good director does that. I mean, I'm, I'm going to read just a brief bit from the book because it's on that point. It says that Dean himself said, perhaps he said this, but this is what was written. The director's task is just that, to direct, to point the way. Then the actor must take over and he must be allowed space, the freedom to express himself in the role. Without that space, an actor is no more than an unthinking robot with a chest full of push buttons. So I, I I don't according to what Julie Harris said, uh, they pretty much just worked it out among themselves and, and when they were rehearsing for the role. I mean, Kazan must have pushed because he he'd been around a long time. He'd done plays in New York and all, so he knew how to direct. And he went on to do some other things too. But uh, I don't know that he pushed people the same way. Uh, that many directors do. Although, in the case of Raymond Massey, who played uh, the father, apparently he did. Curzan did tell Matt Massey he wanted him to be uh, somewhat brutal in one scene uh, to Cal. So one of the themes that exists between Raymond Massey, the father, as Adam, in relationship to Cal, he says, um, you can make anything you want of yourself, Man has a choice. That's how he's different from an animal. Well, in Cal's case, I mean, here's this. He is desperately trying to achieve his father's love. And he never, he really never receives it except at the final, at the end of the film. Which, which again, I, I find somewhat, uh, oh, maudlin maybe. I, I don't know that that would have happened. But anyway, that's how the film goes. And he does achieve it, but that's what the whole movie's about. Like Cal trying to like, how does he go about achieving his father's love without divulging uh, the information about his mother, which he finally does to both to, to all of them. Well, Cal finds that out on his own. He does find it out. He fi he finds it out by some a third party or fourth party, if you like, who tells him about Kate. But once he knows it, what is he going to do with it? I mean, he knows what will happen if he divulges it, as, as it eventually does. And he pursues it, and he gets into a number of mini-brawls, if you does, will. Well, he doesn't, he only, he doesn't 
he pursues it, but he doesn't divulge it until he's kind of forced into that situation with his father at very near the end of the movie, when his father refuses to accept the money. Before that, he doesn't because it's, uh, he, uh, he wants to keep it from keep the knowledge from his brother, which is also a strange relationship. But uh, but then that's biblical. Cal and Aaron, Caleb and Abel. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about Aaron, Abel. Yeah. He goes off to war, but he also previously in the movie doesn't want to participate in the war. Doesn't feel that the war is right. I think he goes off to the war because once it's divulged who his mother is and he sees what happened, what's happening between his father and, and Cal, that's why he goes to the war. You know, it's a, that's a perfectly natural reaction. He, at that point, he, after that dinner party, so to speak, he has to get away. And what is he going to do? He goes off to the Army. And uh, what happens to him in the Army? Well, that Those we don't are know. vague suggestions yeah, right. that, that we don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, the last picture we have of him, Richard Davalos, is, is, is not a favorable one. You know, I mean, we, and, and of course, who knows? He could have gone, I mean, he could have been a hero, he could have been killed, who knows what happens. That's kind of extraneous to the whole story at the end of it. Only for us people who question afterwards. Well, that's the role of what a person does in critiquing a movie. Absolutely. I mean, now we're 60 years out from when that movie was made. Yeah, and 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 100 years out from from World War I. That's right. Yeah, the beginning of World War I. So the perspective of the movie was taken and created 40 years after the event. That's right. And now we're 60 years later. Yeah, yeah, And, and, and they're fewer and fewer people, and even those of us who can't have, you know, the whole thing is becoming rather foggy. I mean, that, see, I for, okay, I for one, even when, go, sitting here going through the book, uh, seeing the movie again, the fact that it takes place during World War One is, to me, rather unimportant. Uh, I, I think it could have taken place at many different eras. Now, as far as, uh, Aaron going off to war, of course, that, ha- that has to be that. Well, Bruce Levine, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask you the questions I like to ask everybody. Okay. And we begin with, what was a eureka or an aha moment that you experienced and found that changed your life? Okay, I've been a book person, uh, you know, an intellectual, if you like, virtually all my life. And there have been a lot of books that have influenced me. I mean, all the way from Moby Dick on through, I mean, you know, all, all the standard works. But one of the books that influences me and, and gave me not quite a eureka moment, but I think it changed my uh, viewpoint on academic research and areas was when I was uh, probably, I don't remember if I was a junior or senior in college, but I took a course in American, what was called then American Civilization, and one of the books that we read was by a uh, by Louis Sullivan. It was called The Autobiography of an Idea. Now, Louis Sullivan was an architect. He built many uh, the first uh, skyscrapers in, in Chicago. And it's not an area that I'm particularly interested in. I mean, specifically architecture. But the writing of the book, the way it came about, the way his view of how architecture could be such an artistic uh, a descriptive uh, endeavor always has influenced. I mean, I have, I still have all his books, 
I mean, all the books about him, by him, the whole thing. You know, they 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 sit right next to the books by Lauren Isley, <laughs> and and Studs Terkel. How did the autobiography of an idea change your life? It it well, I don't think until that time. I mean, all right, as I just mentioned, Lauren Isley. He took, there were books by him in the in the in the, uh, in the course too. And Henry Adams, and that gets back to the whole you know, the 19th century. How it changed my life was simply a different way of looking at literature. This, I mean, look, this is a conflict we all have, and you know, we it, we we like. Are we reading for pleasure? Are we reading to learn? Are we reading, you know, to to, to gain knowledge and experience that will help us in our lives? And Louis Sullivan's idea of architecture as art change my idea as far as viewing uh, the intellectual world. And what would you like to do with the rest of your One Precious Life? Well, I, I've, written, I, I've written and published a lot of books, uh, none of which except for Mend- even James Dean and Mendocino was not overly profitable. The only book that I've done that has been of any great profit has been Mendocino in the Movies, which is still in print and will stay in print all the, all the rest of my life, I assume. However, I have Three new three projects I'm working on. The first is, which is a local project. I did interviews with about 20 people during the 1970s. I did interviews with 20 some people who'd moved to the coast and dropped out, and they weren't all dropouts. But Dr. Harold Robinson, Pam Hudson, uh, anyway. And I've digitized all those interviews and I've edited them down. Now I have to put them in final form, and that'll be the next book that I work on. I hope to get it done. Uh, or be through with it and published by the end of next year, which is 2015. And I have other projects, which I'll keep working on. I mean, I will never retire, although I'm certainly old enough to, but I will never retire. I'll keep doing this stuff as long as I can. And finally, Bruce Levine, I think you may have answered this question already, but is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners other than the autobiography of an idea? Well, yeah, virtually any book by Lauren Isley. Lauren Isley was a was a was an anthropologist uh, who died. No, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how long ago, but um, but he he has one his one book, The Incredible Journey, uh, has stuck with me all these years. And there's one chapter in it which I think is the iconic description of our of our existence, uh, called Little Green Men. And I would very much recommend anybody to read that book. Well, Bruce Levine, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious, uh, discussing James Dean in Mendocino. Great. Well, thank you for having me. Bruce Levine is the author of James Dean in Mendocino, a book that tells the story of the filming of East of Eden in the village of Mendocino, California. The Mendocino Film Festival will present several screenings of East of Eden on Friday, November 21st and Sunday, November 23rd. For further information, contact MendocinoFilmFestival.org or 707-937-0171 or 937-5818. The music that you heard at the beginning of this program was the theme music for the movie East of Eden, composed by Leonard Rosenman. The book that Bruce Levine recommends is An Autobiography of an Idea by Lewis H. Sullivan. 
This program was recorded on November 11, 2014. There are over 500 archive editions of Radio Curious on our website, www.radiocurious.org, where they're free for you to stream, download, enjoy, and share. We appreciate your curiosity, ideas, comments, and questions. You may reach us by email. Our address is curious at radiocurious.org or snail mail 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, that's U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482, or by phone, 707-462-6541. You've been listening to Radio Curious. Christina Onestead is our associate producer, and I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.